Amen. Thank you, Liv. If you haven't had a chance to open up to John 18, I want to encourage you to do so, to read along in this narrative passage that we have before us. And I told uh, a few that I was thankful to uh, have traveled through the Upper Room Discourse and all of Jesus' good teachings in John 13 through 17, but I am, uh, was thankful to be done and now in a narrative, now in this journey of Jesus traveling from the Upper Room to the Empty Tomb. And since John has given us the seven great I am sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and since he has um, highlighted those seven I am statements with seven great signs and miracles proving that he is who he said that he was, I thought it would be good that we break up the rest of this journey from the upper room to the empty tomb in seven scenes. So seven I am's, seven signs, seven scenes. We've got seven weeks till Easter. And so what a good opportunity for us as a church uh, and, and individually even to set aside, set aside time to focus and look to Christ in all of these different scenes that, that we see Jesus in, that we would look to Christ and be encouraged by him and consider what he's done for us. And so I sent out a post to us as a church challenging us to both personally, corporately, but then also missionally seek to look to Christ and to live out uh, the Great Commission uh, over this uh, next seven weeks. And I, I hope you'll do that. This will be a great start to that in uh, John chapter 18, verses 1 through 12. Yes, verse 12. I'm going to where I think the scene ends in verse 12 there. Uh, and am just entitling it, Jesus Betrayed and Arrested. Just showing you right there exactly what happens to Jesus. And in this passage, Jesus is so intentional in his actions. And I want you to consider for a second the kind of intentionality that it takes to do certain things. And I noted that it, would, it takes a certain kind of individual to run into a burning house. I mean, not only do you have to have a mustache as a fireman, but you have to be a certain kind of individual to be able to want to intentionally run in to a burning house to make sure everyone's okay and save. It takes a certain kind of individual to go into a hostage situation, to go into a battle scene, or to go into an elementary music class, right? It takes a certain kind of individual to be so disciplined and trained that they would become a professional athlete or a world-class musician. It takes a certain kind of individual to, to do those kinds of things. But there's another level at which Jesus models here and another level at which we as Christians uh, move and make our actions. I mean, a lot of those other things I already just mentioned are, are horizontal actions. Uh, they're great actions. They're impressive actions. Uh, they're even sacrificial in this sense. But they're human level. And as Christians, we're called to do 
other things, other kinds of hard things, not simply for someone else's earthly benefit, but for um, Christ's honor and glory and for other people's eternal benefit. And so I've noted as well that it takes a certain kind of faithfulness to wake up early, to spend time with the Lord, to attempt to do family worship consistently, or to give generously even when finances are tight. It takes an intentional faithfulness to not scroll for hours on social media or not re-reply to that specific comment or to put the device away so that you're not tempted to sin. These are all hard things that we are faced with that we're called to step forward in, like Christ stepped forward in this hard situation there. It takes a certain intentional faithfulness to not talk like your friends or to not waste time like your friends or not give in to what your friends want you to do. It takes an intentional faithfulness to invest in your marriage when it's hard. To reset as a family when you know things aren't going the right way. Or to discipline and instruct your children for the hundredth time that day. It takes intentional faithfulness to go to a frustrating job joyfully, day after day. Or to persevere through health struggles without complaining. Or to remain steadfast uh, even when you're lonely. It takes an intentional faithfulness to stand up for what you believe in when you're the only one. Or to speak the truth in a loving way. Or to be hated by others in the world and not hate back. All of these things are hard things that we face and we're called to step forward into them like Christ stepped forward into this hard situation in our text today. It takes intentional faithfulness to missionally cross the street to love your neighbors only to be refused again. Or to share the gospel with a coworker over lunch only to be rejected again. Or to invite your friend to church only to be turned down again, over and over. It takes intentional faithfulness to go back to school to prepare yourself for future ministry. Or to pastor or replant a dying church. Or to plant a new church in an area of the city where there's not one. Or to move to a closed country. Learn a new language or two to be able to translate the Scriptures. I want you to ask yourself, when you face one or many of those hard situations, which way do you go? Do you press into it? Or is your tendency to kind of step back from it? That's a little bit hard. I want want to step back from that. I need a little bit of comfort. need a little bit of break. need a little bit of room. Or are you not in your own strength like a fireman or not in your own strength like a soldier or not in your own strength like a teacher or a musician or an athlete, but in the spirit and strength of Christ intentionally moving into those things, knowing that With you, it's impossible, but with Christ, it's possible. 
Jesus, in our passage today, intentionally moved towards the hardest thing that has ever been experienced in the entire world. Not only was it, uh, you know, similar to those things that I just described to you, he moved forward to taking the sins of the world upon his shoulder. He moved forward to being punished for the sins of you and I. He moved forward to those things. He didn't step away from those things. He didn't try to skirt them. He didn't try to find another way. He didn't go the opposite direction. He moved towards those things intentionally and brought them about himself. And I hope that compels us this morning to both be thankful and worship him for who he is and for what he's done, but I pray it would also compel us to do the same and to go out into the world thinking if Christ has done that for us to accomplish our salvation, surely we could step into the hard things that God has called us to do for his honor and for others' salvation, knowing that it would be for our good in the end. So if you're taking notes with me, uh, I want you to note really three things in this passage. And the first one is this. Three things describing Jesus' actions from where we will get our own call to obedience this morning. The first one is this, that Jesus went out to be arrested. Jesus went out to be arrested. And John tells us in John chapter 18 a little bit different story from the one that you may be familiar with in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those three Gospels written from the same optic view, the same vantage point, telling a similar story. But John is writing from a different uh, perspective, a different viewpoint. And while the Synoptics may give us a lot of specific details of the external details of what was happening in the situation. Uh, Some of what we may be more familiar with of Jesus and his actual prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. John doesn't even mention it. He just tells us that Jesus went and and why Jesus went. It doesn't mention the prayers. Um, If the synoptics are showing us a little bit of Jesus' humanity in praying to God the Father in that moment, if there be any other way for us to bring about the salvation of mankind, Father, let it be, but not my will, but what? Your will be done. If that shows in the synoptics a little bit of Jesus' humanity, John is trying, I think, to show uh, more of Jesus' divinity, showing that Jesus is in control. The soldiers and Judas do not bring this scene about. Jesus brings this scene about. And so look at John chapter 18, 1 through 3, and note that Jesus went out to be arrested. I think that this passage, John is highlighting Jesus' actions uh, here in this passage. In verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, these words being the upper room discourse of John chapter 13 through 17 that we spent the last months looking at. 
When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley. Or, as I just heard read from the newer version of the ESV, the Brook Kidron. Uh, I think if you have a newer version is what it says. That was the, the valley, the brook of water that would have filled up with water uh, during rainstorms. Uh, but that valley outside of Jerusalem towards the east uh, between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives across the way. And Jesus intentionally crosses the, goes out of Jerusalem on the night uh, of, the, of the Passover meal. After he had had the upper room discourse, he crosses the Kidron Valley and he goes up to a garden which he and his disciples entered. This we know to be the Garden of Gethsemane, the, where the olive press was. Or the Mount of Olives, where there was a, a garden of olive trees there, where Jesus often, Luke tells us, would go to pray. And his disciples knew that. In fact, we know that even Judas uh, knew that. We see in verse 2, Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. This was a place of retreat for Jesus. This was a place of rest for Jesus. It was a, a place outside the city where Jesus often went to pray. And I love that we see both in just those details that John is giving us that Jesus had a habit of prayer and preparation before he went into these hard times. And might that be true of us as well, considering that, that we are going to be following Christ's example and want to step into those hard things that Jesus has called us to, we need to prepare ourselves in prayer. Christian and, and church, we need to prepare ourselves in prayer. We need to be people of, pray, uh, people of prayer. We need to be um, parents whose kids catch us praying. Uh, we need to be husbands and wives who our wives walk in on us praying in our closet. We need to be people who uh, reach out to one another, telling them that we've prayed for one another. We need to be people who set aside day of fasting and prayer to prepare for those hard times that we're going to, uh, to face. Jesus had done that. Luke tells us that. John tells us that even Judas knew where Jesus would be on this very night. He would be out in the garden praying. It's a great challenge to us to, to go out intentionally in prayer before the hard times that we are to face uh, in the future. But Jesus went out intentionally. He went out to this place knowing, not only knowing that Judas had gone out to betray him, but having sent Judas out earlier to go and to do what he had, was going to do quickly. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that Judas would know where he would be, and he went there anyways. He went there on purpose. He went there so that he could be arrested. No one, as he already said in the Gospel of John, nobody takes his life from him. He willingly gives his life over. It's interesting, one of the allusions that I found in my cross-references this week to 
the Kidron Valley or the book of Kidron was one of David. And David leaves Jerusalem and actually crosses the Kidron Valley when his son Absalom seeks to kill him and take the throne. But uh, David crosses the Kidron Valley not to intentionally go to be arrested, but to seek uh, escape from being arrested and to escape death. I think John is giving us a contrast here to show Jesus' intentionality in this. Jesus, in many ways, is like David. Um, Or, to say it better, David, in many ways, is, is a type of Christ to come. But in this way, he's an antitype. He's a contrast to Jesus. Jesus is not getting out of Jerusalem to protect himself and to escape um, the threat of death. He's actually going across to bring it about because he knows that Judas will know where he's at. Consider the intentionality there, Christian, that Jesus intentionally went out to the garden to both pray and prepare himself for this hard moment and to be in the very place where he knew Judas would find him. Judas... In verse 3, having procured a band of soldiers and some religious and some officers of the chief priests and Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So you've got both civil authorities in the band of soldiers and you've got religious authority, temple police in, in the officers of the chief priests coming together as one, even though they would have normally been two separate groups. Together they come together and are unified around the common goal of arresting Jesus. This often happens in our world. Two groups that often oppose each other coming together to to bring about harm on, on somebody else. And this is exactly what happened. And they didn't come out to greet Jesus or to sit and sit around Jesus while he was teaching. They definitely didn't come out to pray with Jesus with their lanterns and torches and weapons. And even the words described there in the band of soldiers means that there could have been some several hundred soldiers with Judas coming out that day. And you just think about all the times they had tried to get Jesus and he had evaded them over and over and over. The reason that Jesus didn't evade them this time was not because they had several hundred soldiers, but because Jesus intentionally went out there and willingly allowed himself to be arrested. And so we need to consider this. Consider Jesus' intentionality in going out to this place so that he might be arrested. Um, We want to consider... Uh, this ourselves and be thankful. Thankful for a Savior who both prepared himself in prayer and put him in the exact place that he needed to be to bring about uh, our own salvation by going to the cross. What about, what about us? Are we willing to prepare ourselves in prayer this afternoon knowing that we may face a hard battle tomorrow at work or a hard a day later this week with our health, or a hard day later this month with 
family or friends? Are we going to do the hard work today in prayer and um, preparing ourselves for those moments? Are we going to move towards those and go out to those situations? Or are we going to step back? Are we going to um, press into them or are we going to shy away from them? Will you go out into the world to die to yourselves and to make disciples? Or are you going to stay where it's easy and stay where it's comfortable? We need to take Jesus' example and press into those things, considering that he has done that for us and considering that he's called us to do the same. But he not only went out, uh, but he came forward. So what we see in verses 4 through 9, he came forward to confess the truth. In verse 4 it says, then, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him. And consider that phrase that John gives us right there. Writing this after this happened, after the cross, after the resurrection, after the ascension. John is writing this, looking back at that situation saying, he knew. He knew he knew everything that was going to happen. He knew Judas would be there. He knew the soldiers would come. He knew everything that would happen. And knowing everything that would happen, he came forward. He didn't turn and run. He didn't shy away. He stepped forward. Um, and he said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he, uh, or more accurately, I am, uh, echoing the seven I am statements that Jesus um, gave during his ministry, those seven I am statements that John recorded in the Gospel of John that even echo back all the way back to Exodus chapter 3 when Moses saw the burning bush and God spoke to him out of that burning bush and called him to go back, intentionally go back to Egypt, to go do that hard thing. And Moses said, whom shall I say is sending me? And God said, tell them I am who I am is, is sending you. And Jesus all throughout his ministry saying, I am that I am. I am God. And so here, it's obvious that Jesus is claiming deity by their reaction. Uh, when, when Jesus said to them, I am, Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They were in shock. When Jesus claimed, I am, in that moment, they, they fell to the ground. And in, in one sense, you can imagine the scene. He had to kind of say, it's okay. Come on, stand back up. I need to, we need to get on with this. I asked you, who did you come seeking again? Look, it says, Jesus answered, um, whom do you seek? So Jesus asked them again in verse 7, whom do you seek? And they said, again, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he or I am. So, if you seek me, let these men go. And he said, let these men go, John notes in verse 9, to fulfill the word that he had spoken 
Of, the, of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Those were Jesus' words from the previous chapter when Jesus was praying to the Father, saying that of all of those whom you had given to him, he had lost not one except Judas, which even losing Judas, or air quotes, losing Judas was to fulfill Scripture. And so Jesus, even in these words at his arrest, he's making sure that he doesn't lose his disciples in an earthly sense to an early death. He, he protects them, even though he's not willing to protect himself. Jesus comes forward to confess the truth of who he is. He comes forward to identify himself as Jesus of Nazareth, the great I Am. Um, and in doing so, they would find reason then to arrest him, later beat him, after that crucify him, because it, they believed it was blasphemy. They didn't think he was the Son of God, the great I Am. And so saying that he was to them was blasphemy, when in reality he was the only one that could say that. And Jesus came forward in that. He stepped up to be able to speak the truth. Not only once, but twice. And kind of encouraging them back up, helping them along with the question, helping them do what they came there to do when they were dumbfounded and shocked on the ground. He helps them out to confess the truth. Again, we ought to be humbled and in awe of a Savior who came forward to every time He opened His mouth speak the truth, no, no matter what the results would be. We ought to be thankful for a Savior that was willing to do that. At the same time, we ought to be compelled to do likewise. To step up and to come forward and to be bold and speak the truth. In whatever situations we need. Parents, with your kids this afternoon, stand up with them and speak the truth. Tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. Uh, speak the truth with your non-Christian friends and co-workers later this week. Step up, step forward and speak the truth and love to them when they have a wrong belief about what Christians believe or they have a, a wrong view of reality. Step forward and, and speak the truth. We have to consider what do we normally do in those kinds of situations when people ask us a question that we know our answer, like Jesus Identifying himself as Jesus of Nazareth would bring about a hard result. What do we do in those moments when we get asked a question that we know if we answer like we know we ought to answer, we're going to get rejected, shamed, laughed at, lose a friend, not be invited next time, maybe be persecuted in our job, not get the promotion, this, that, or the other. What, what are, what are your, what's your tendency? And if we could just be honest about our tendency and just confess that to the Lord, we have a helper in the Lord Himself that will help us in those periods of weakness to not fall back into our normal habits of stepping back. But the Holy Spirit will help us to step forward 
looking at Christ and what He's done for us, looking at His example, looking up and looking vertically rather than simply looking horizontally. Christian, church, let me encourage you, step forward this week to speak the truth like Christ came forward to confess the truth of who He was. Share the gospel of who Jesus is and what He came to do. Share God's story in Christ and the good news. Share your story of how you, though a sinner, came to hear the gospel and came to believe the gospel and are growing to live out the gospel. Share your story with with someone. Share with that person how they too, a sinner, could look to Christ and be saved and follow Him and be on this journey as well of living out hard things in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, for, for uh, a life full of meaning and a life full of joy in the midst of hard times, a life that impacts eternity and doesn't just live for this earthly life. Jesus came forward to confess the truth. We too need to step up to speak the truth and proclaim the gospel uh, in our life. But thirdly, in verses 10 through 12, Having went out and having come forward, Jesus now puts away protection to drink the cup. He puts away Peter's sword so that he would be able to eventually drink the cup of God's wrath. Look in verse 10. Simon Peter, having a sword, and like I mentioned earlier, you can go and read in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and read about this conversation of whether or not they should or shouldn't have swords uh, moving forward. It'd be a, a fun, interesting study to get some of the other details behind it, but Peter's got one. He's got a dagger. Um, he drew it, and he struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And John, writing this gospel, who happened to be there, lets us know that the servant's name was Malchus. Now I can tell you a couple things just by um, wise observation. Number one, he was not going for his ear. No one goes for the ear. They go for the head. So Jesus, uh, Peter, um, may have not been that athletic. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't that good. Maybe they're, uh, I, I don't know. I have biblical reference for this because later John will say that he and Peter were running to the tomb and John lets us know that John won the race. So Peter, he's the one to be out there and forward in this, but he strikes the right ear. John also lets us know that the servant's name was Malchus. The only writer to let us know that, one to maybe let us know that it's real. Later on in verse 26 There's another servant of the high priest who's a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off mentioned in Peter's denial. So John is connecting these stories together with these high priest servants who are relatives there. Nevertheless, Peter, opposite of Jesus, is going to seek to protect Jesus and bring this to an end. Even though Jesus went out 
to the place where he knew he'd be arrested. Even though Jesus came forward to confess the truth that he knew would bring about his arrest, Peter is going to break out his sword and try to put an end to Jesus' arrest. But Jesus says no. Jesus wouldn't have it. And so in verse 11, Jesus says to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus puts, a, puts an end to it. Tells Peter to put down his sword. He doesn't want anybody fighting to protect him. He knows that his time has come. In fact, he wouldn't only tell uh, Peter to put his sword away. The other gospel writers would say that Jesus healed the man's ear. Whether it was on the ground, picks it up and puts it on, or, or, or just heals it. Um, there and the cut that was there, I don't know, but Jesus is intentional in that sense to protect his own disciples, to heal the man so that Peter's not arrested for fighting and for um, rising up in a mob at this point. And so Jesus does everything he can to bring about his arrest here, putting away protection for himself so that he can eventually drink the cup. What cup is Jesus talking about here when he says, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? That language is used throughout the Bible to describe the the drinking or the taking of God's wrath. Uh, We can see this in Psalm 75, verse 8 where the enemies of God are said to eventually have to drink the cup of God's wrath against them for their actions. But it's not only for God's enemies, it's also for God's people who lived in sin. In Isaiah 51, in 17 and 22, God's people too are called to wake themselves. Um, And they will be drinking from the Lord the cup of His wrath. And yet, in Christ, Jesus Himself uh, goes in an even more fuller way to fully drink the cup of God's wrath for the sins of the world. Jesus is said, the Messiah is predicted in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfills it on the cross that He will drink the cup of God's wrath for the sins uh, against the Lord. When Jesus dies on on the cross, all of the wrath, all of the punishment, all of the discipline that mankind deserves for their own sins against God is poured out on Jesus. This is why Jesus would say something like, quoting Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, he was drinking in the fullest sense that you could ever imagine. We will never, as, as Christians, we will never know what it's like to fully drink the cup of God's wrath for our sins because Jesus took it on the cross. And so we have Christ to thank that He was willing to put away protection in that moment so that He could eventually drink, not only be arrested, and not only be beaten, 
and not only be crucified, but the worst thing that happened to Jesus was the wrath of God coming upon him on the cross. And he wasn't going to allow Peter to bring that to an end in this moment. And so we, ha- we look to Christ. We look to Him who was willing to drink this cup uh, of God's wrath for us. So we as Christians gathered together as the church, we often partake of the Lord's Supper where we, like Jesus did on the night that He was betrayed just before this scene, gathered with His disciples and He took that Old Testament Passover meal Reminding them of the lamb that was sacrificed, whose body was given and blood was shed so that God would pass over and that God's wrath would pass over them. Jesus said that he was going to be that lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was going to give his body. He was going to shed his blood so that the wrath of God would pass over us. And all who repent and believe, all of us who call ourselves Christians, we regularly gather together as God's church, Christ's church. And we break bread and we drink from the cup and we look back remembering that Christ fully gave his body uh, and shed his blood and drank from the cup of God's wrath for us so that we don't have to. When we, Christian and church, stand in a, in a few moments and we take the bread and we take the cup this, this, this morning, I want us in a special way, in a focused way, to consider the intentionality that Christ had to go to the cross for you. Going out, coming forward, putting away any earthly protection so that He could drink the cup of God's wrath for you so that you don't have to. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, my encouragement to you is to stay in your seat, to consider these truths that we've been talking about, and to consider the truth that that we believe, according to the Bible, is that while Christians will never have to pay for their sins because Christ paid for them on the cross, if you reject Christ, If you don't repent of your sins and accept Him as your one and only Savior, then you will be paying for your sins. You will fully absorb the wrath of God for your sins when you're separated from God for all eternity in hell. So my encouragement to you this morning is to consider these truths, to consider Jesus' intentionality to go towards the cross and to consider that he's, he's done that for all who repent and believe. And if you would repent and believe, repent of your sins, believe in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins this morning, you too can be forgiven. You too can be saved like all of us have experienced and like all of us remember in the eating and the drinking together this morning. Christian, will you not only eat and drink in remembrance of Christ, but will you put away your comforts that protect you so that you would go out then and be willing to suffer for Christ? Would you be willing to put away the comforts 
uh, of your home. Put away the comforts of this life in your finances. Put away the comforts of simply only being with friends at lunch tomorrow or later next weekend and find opportunities to be with those um, who don't know Christ. Would you put away certain comforts, certain protections that we all enjoy so that others might know this good news of the gospel? Jesus put away protection so that he could drink the cup. He drank the cup for us. We drink the cup in remembrance of him. Would we then be willing to put away protections and comforts in this life so that others too would trust in Christ and be able to eat at this table and drink of this cup with us in remembrance of Christ. Church, just think about some of the individuals who have worshipped with us and drank around, eaten and, and drank around these tables with us who now live around the world in places that are closed off to the gospel in hopes they've put away certain protections, put away certain comforts of this life to be able to get the gospel to those who have never heard. I'm thankful for their example. It's a challenge to us to not only consider it ourselves, but also to support the work that they're doing in prayer, in finances, and in, in other ways. There's so many ways that we could put away certain protections and finances and home and comforts in this life to be able to help others experience um, the salvation in eternal life. So consider, when you go back to all of those ways I listed that we face hard times, the certain intentional faithfulness that it takes to step forward and to go out into those intentional moments. I hope having looked to Christ who went out and came forward and put away protection for us, it would not, all, not only cause us to stand back and worship and praise Him for who He is and for what He's done for us this morning, but it would also compel us to go out, to step up, and to put away comfort, to be willing to suffer for the name of Christ in this life. I hope you, if you've not trusted in Christ, that you would consider all that Christ has done for you and trust Him and believe Him today. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and praise you and thank you for your son Jesus, for intentionally sending him and having that plan before the foundation of the world. Jesus, thank you for willingly coming, living, going out and coming forward and putting away protection so that you might die. You were crucified. You were buried. And yet you rose again on the third day. Jesus, you appeared to many and were exalted on high. You alone are worthy of our worship. For you alone intentionally brought about every aspect of your ministry on this earth. And we thank you for it. We see your intentional love 
towards all of your sheep, and we praise you. Holy Spirit, thank you for opening up our eyes to be able to see these things as truth and to believe upon Jesus. Thank you for revealing our sin that we deserve ourselves to drink the cup of God's wrath, but for realizing that Jesus alone drank it for us. Help us then in your power to ourselves go forward and to go out and to speak the truth and to put away certain comforts that we might suffer like Christ for your honor and glory and for others' salvation. Spirit, help us in our weakness when we want to fall back, shy away. Help us to step forward in faith, to open our mouths in faith, to give up certain comforts in faith, knowing that you're worthy and that you will use it. Jesus, as we eat and drink in remembrance of you this morning, I pray that we would do so with newfound appreciation with your intentionality to bring about the, the cross and that we would leave with greater intentional faithfulness to you as we're sent out to be the church in the world. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.